Okay. We started talking last week about the difference between being a convert and being a disciple. Are we happy to be converts? I'm happy to be a convert. I'm happy to have converted, to have given my life to Jesus, to have received God's free gift of salvation, to know that if I was to die today, I know that I will go and I will be with my Father in heaven. I know that. I have that assurance by faith based on the fact that I have accepted the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. I believe in it. I live for it. I have invited God into my world uh, and I have decided that, that that's the way I'm going to do life. Um, based on the requirements of salvation, which have nothing to do with your works. Uh, Ephesians tells us that we are saved by what? Grace, through faith. This is a gift of God, not of yourself. Why? So that none of us can boast about it. None of us can say, I'm better than you in the eyes of God because I did this to get saved. um, You can't pay your way into heaven. It doesn't matter how much money you put in an offering plate. If you've never surrendered your heart to Christ, you are not saved. You can't pray your way into heaven. You can pray all day, every day, but if you've never opened up your heart, accepted the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ to be for you, you cannot be saved. You cannot attend your way into heaven. You can come to church your whole life. You can go to Christian school. You can go to every conference there is known to man. And if you have not opened up your heart and accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for you personally, you are not saved. You can read every Christian book under the sun. You can have a wall-to-wall library in your house of Christian books. But if you have not opened up your heart, invited Christ in, accepted the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ as being for you, you are not saved. You can listen to podcasts till there's information coming out your ear. You can listen and listen and listen. You can have Christian CDs in your car. You can listen to Christian radio. If you have not accepted the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ as being for you personally, you will not be saved. So salvation is one thing. It's, we talked last week about it being the entry point. Imagine if Jesus walked in this room right now and, and, and walked up to you and extended his hand to you and said, Hi, my name's Jesus. And you put your hand out and you shook it back and said, Hi, Jesus. That's like salvation. God has entered the world through the person of Jesus. He has not only entered the world, but he's walked up to you personally and he's got your personal attention. And he's extended his hand to you through the cross and said, I want relationship with you. And we each make a choice to extend our hand and to shake his, therefore entering into relationship. Or we ignore that handshake, we turn our back and get on with the rest of our life. But how many of you know a handshake doesn't make a relationship? A handshake doesn't make a relationship. I wonder how many people have handshook Jesus. They've given their hearts to Christ. They've put their hand, they've shaken his hand. But then that's it for them. That's the end of it. God wants so much more than that with us. He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want to just shake hands, then turn around and walk away, and we have no more interaction. My wife would not cope with that. Neither would yours, your husbands, your partners. Imagine if you, you, you met them and you introduced yourself and you said, you want to have a relationship. Remember um, back in the school days, we used to say, will you go with me? Anyone else? Have that phrase when you were a kid at school and you met a nice little girl and you wanted to be exclusive boyfriend and girlfriend and the phrase would be, will you go with me? It was magic. It was, to hear a pretty girl say, go with me, it was like magic. Lights would go off. Be like, I've made it. Yeah. And then it'd be like, you know, I'm going with her. Oh, where are you going? Oh, we weren't smart enough to think about that. 
So none of us ever said, oh, where are you going with it? Oh, I don't know. I'm just going with it, you know? What it meant was we're going into a relationship. That's what it meant. We're going. And, and, and you know what? We, well, I'm going with Jesus. I'm going with Jesus. But I want to go into a relationship and not stand, just be happy with a handshake saying, yeah, I met him once. He's my saviour. Yeah, about five years ago, ten years ago, I met Jesus. We had a handshake. He said, do I want to be in his world? I said, yes. He said, do you accept the death, burial, resurrection? I said, yes, I do. Fantastic, nice to know you, Jesus. And then I've just gone on with the rest of my life. God wants more than that. God wants us to have a relationship with him. God wants us to go a little bit deeper in our spiritual journey, a little bit deeper in our commitment to God. You know, it's one thing to say that you want to see God move in your life. It's another thing to do something about it. It's one thing to say, I want to have a relationship with you. It's another thing to do those things that are required to have an actual relationship with a person. I want to have a relationship with my wife. You know what that means? That means that I have to prioritise certain things to maintain that relationship. And it's not just about maintaining it, but to deepen it, to develop that relationship. You know, I'm not a big coffee drinker. I never have been. I'm not right into coffee. My wife, when we started going out and got married, she likes coffee. She enjoys nice coffee. I couldn't tell you what's a nice coffee and what's not. Just coffee's coffee. But she, she knows a nice coffee when she... She sees it and smells it and hears it percolating. She knows nice, she likes nice coffee. A lot of you people here, I know, because it's in the West, you can't be saved if you don't like nice coffee. That's one of my observations in the Western church. If you don't like nice coffee, there, eh, do you really know Jesus? You've shaken his hand, but if you really built, if you did, he would have told you. He likes his people drinking caffeine. He likes us all jacked up on caffeine. It's one of those requirement things, you know. God wants a bit of depth to our journey with him. And to build that relationship with my wife, I had to prioritise certain things that would invest into that relationship. That relationship I have with my wife, we're about to go on 21 years marriage. We've had ups, downs, we've been to the left, we've been to the right, we've had the highs, the lows, we've been on mountaintops, we've been in balance. We've gone through the whole gamut of things that every human being goes through when they are trying to form a relationship. Every relationship goes that way. And that's what builds the relationship, is your ability to navigate those things together and to grow closer to one another, to get to know one another more and to handle that stuff. And that's, that's relationships. And it's like that also with God. We go through a lot of things. But that relationship with God should be developing, getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, that tree I was talking about, we are coming down the hill, and I, I was looking at that tree this morning near Balna High School, and massive big tree. I mean, on the outside, it looked fantastic. But, uh, but obviously, enough pressure came against that that it was able to push it down. The roots and the ground would have got so wet from all that rain, and the pressure of the wind pushing on the top, and eventually... That massive big tree eventually came toppling down. And as I was looking at that tree, my first thought was, you know what, that's so reflective of a lot of Christian lives, a lot of people's relationships with God. Pressure comes and wind comes and the rain comes and all this stuff. Can we hang on? If you don't have a deep relationship, you won't hang on. 
without a depth of relationship with God, without a depth of understanding of who God is and his character and his nature and developing that, so many people fall away. We call it backslidden. You know? When I get to know a lot of those people and you chat to them, the truth is the problem really was that you shook his hand and that was it. And then from that point on, for the next five years, you did nothing. And then you wake up one day and weren't interested in God. And start blaming God for everything. And then you come up with all these reasons and justify why. Well, God, God, God. It's like, hey, what else do you want him to do? <laughs> he came into the room. He walked up to you. He shook your hand. He invited you into a relationship. Salvation is all of God. But guess what? To grow in relationship, a lot of it comes back to us. What do we prioritize in our worlds? What's important? Matthew chapter 6. I'll read it from the New Living Translation. Verse 24 to 34. It says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. How many of you know money doesn't just fall out of the sky? I wish it did sometimes. It doesn't. You have to what? Do things to get money. You have to prioritise certain things in your world to be successful and to gain finance. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's about priorities. Jesus says you can't love, serve God and be enslaved to money. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? It's a nice shirt, by the way, isn't it, Pat? Yeah, I thought you would. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I love verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. You know, we're all seeking something. We're always seeking for something in life. Most of what we do is there's something underlying that we're trying to get out of that thing. We're seeking all the time. We're seeking for peace. We seek for self-worth, self-value. We seek for security in things that we do and, and, and maybe careers and financial stability. We seek reputation. We want to be known for something. Good things, and that's okay. We seek joy and happiness. We seek healing and wholeness. We want to be made whole. We want the broken parts of us to be fixed. We want answers to problems. We seek deliverance, freedom. We seek a lot of things in life. But here's the thing. God says, 
if you will seek after the kingdom first, then he will add everything else to you. Seek God first and all the rest will be added. But the question for us, the challenge for us is, do we take that seriously? Do we prioritize the seeking of God's kingdom over the seeking of all these other things? Are we a people that when we look at our own life, now let's, and, and, and let's be honest, all of us, and I include myself in this, my day today will be the sum total of what I consider to be the most important priorities. It will be. Life is busy. I've come to the conclusion. Me and Jackie were talking about this uh, yesterday. Life is busy. It just is. There's always lots of things to do. There's never a good day to start something. You know, we're all just waiting for the right moment. The right... There's never a good day to start something. Every day is not the right day to start something, you know? Um, which means that every day is also the right day to start something because there is no good day to start something. So the day that's not the good day ends up being the best day to start something that you thought you couldn't start for a better day because today's that day. <laughs> Today is the day. You got that, Pat? <laughs> seek God first. And this is the promise of God. If we seek him first, he says he'll add all that stuff to you. He says, I will give you all the basics that you need for a successful life. I will make sure that all these other areas of life are taken care of. Your task is to seek me. Go after me. Keep me as, as a priority in your world. Put me there. I challenge you in this. This is Jesus saying it. I challenge you. Seek first God and watch him add everything else to you. Or you can flip it around. You can spend your whole life seeking all these other things, running after them, chasing after them, pushing God off to the side, going, well, I want this relationship with you, God, but I've just got to wait for too busy today to start it, too busy tomorrow to start it. I'm too busy to start it. I'm too... And two years down the track, you look back... And two years of busyness, and you're still in the same place you were two years ago. You're still chasing the same things. You're still trying to get to the same place. You might have earned more money, but your savings account's exactly the same because it's coming in and it's going out. Your relationships are not all flourishing. They're not where they should be. Your, 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 your world's still a little bit chaotic and messy and so on because the, the most important priority is not taking shape. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom. And all these other things, they'll be added to you. You seek God. You seek the kingdom. And God will seek out these other things. And he'll bring them to you. He'll bring these other things to you. There's nothing wrong with all the things we seek after. But it's the order, the priority in our life to which we give to a lot of these things. Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with any of the things we chase. The problem is we look for them in the wrong places. God offers them all to us and then some. We need to seek God and then we receive those things from him. Or we sit out there and we're fighting, trying to get everything. When our Heavenly Father wants to give things to us. He wants us to seek him first. He wants us to make him the number one priority. For most of us, it's not about assigning less importance to our natural world. You have to go to work. You have to provide for your family. You have to look after your kids. You have to mow the lawn. You have to uh, you know, 
whatever it is that you do, take your children to sport. Uh, all these things, the busyness of life happens and a lot of it is normal. You've got to still be able to do that stuff. There's, it's not about dumbing down the importance of that, but it's about assigning more importance to the spiritual world. More importance to the spiritual side of your life. If we were to have a set of scales right now and we were to be totally transparently honest with ourselves and this was the spiritual side of life and this was the natural side of life, which one do you reckon would outweigh? I dare say for probably most of us, the natural side of life would well outweigh the spiritual side of life. Yet what's the most important side? What did Jesus say to seek after first? Let's say it's half and half. It looks good. But is that what Jesus said? What sort of priority do we give to our spiritual life? What sort of priority do we give to our spiritual life? growth and we weigh that up to what sort of priority do we place on all this natural world and achieving goals and getting things so on if I, I think if most of us are honest our lives are slightly out of balance and that's not a that's not a, a, a like i say it's not to say bring down the importance of the natural world don't do that you become weird freaky spiritual people and they're just strange i don't like those people <laughs> i know i've known plenty of them okay you just end up going wacky. So we don't go to that extreme. It's not about lowering and all of a sudden going, right, yeah, well, you heard what Alan said today. I don't have to give you any more time now because, you know, I've given you enough time. You're five minutes now, I'm going to pray for 20. I've given you your time. Don't whinge. Your second priority. God's not, it's not about that. Saying to your kids, well, no, I can't take you there. I'm not going to do that with you because I need to read my Bible. It's not about that. It's not about going to that extreme. It's not about lowering the importance of our natural world but lifting up the importance of the spiritual side of life. Lifting that up and giving it the rightful place. I read a story this week about a lawyer, a very successful lawyer. He parked his brand new Lexus in front of his office, ready to show it off to his colleagues. As he got out, a truck passed too close, completely tore off the door on the driver's side of his brand spanking new Lexus. The attorney immediately grabbed his cell phone, hit speed dial for 911, and within minutes, a policeman showed up. Before the officer had a chance to ask any questions, the lawyer starts screaming hysterically. His Lexus, which he just picked up the day before, was now completely ruined and would never be the same, no matter what the body shop could do to try to repair that car. It would never be the same. When the lawyer finally wound down from his ranting and raving, the officer shook his head in disgust and disbelief and said, I can't believe how materialistic you lawyers are. He said, you are so focused on the possessions that you don't notice anything else. How can you say such a thing? Asked the lawyer. The policeman replied, don't you know that your left arm is missing from the elbow down? It must have been torn off when the truck hit you. The lawyer looks down and screams, oh no, where's my Rolex? I think that's a guy who's overbalanced on the natural side of life. Too worried about possessions, too worried about the things in this natural world, the very things that God said, if you'll seek me first, if you'll put me first, I'll add these things to you. But you know what's great? When we seek God first, he adds these things to us at the right time because by seeking him, we become the right people that can handle those things. How many of us sitting here right now, we think, oh, gee, I'd, I'd, I'd love a billion dollars. So I'm going to just work my backside off to get a billion dollars. And then all of a sudden, you get a billion dollars 
But the, the truth is, in character, in person, you're more like a $500 kind of man. Remember the, what was it, Steve Austin, the million dollar man? Remember that show? My bionic man or something, what was it? Bionic man? Steve Austin? Is that it? Yeah, Steve Austin. Million dollar man, the bionic man. We want to be billion dollar men. And so we seek after a billion dollars. But all the while, as far as our relationship with God and our character, we're $500 men. So we get a billion dollars. What does that billion dollars do? It crushes you, destroys you, ruins your life, ruins relationships. You see it all the time. People win a lotto and they win several million dollars. And within 12 months, statistically, most of those people are in debt. My, my wife's uh, got a family member and that family member's partner won lotto. He won, I think it was 1.125 million, something like that. 1.125 million dollars. What could you do with that? If I won 1.125 million dollars, I would, I can tell you what I think I would do, but I don't have the money. So it's only what I think I would do. We all think we would do certain things until we find ourselves in those positions. Is that right? Oh, when I have kids, I'll be, and then all of a sudden I've got, oh my goodness, you know? When I have kids, I'm going to let my kids listen to cool music all the time in the car. Now my poor kids have got to ride with me while I listen to John Laws, just like my dad did. And I thought, Dad, that's so uncool. I've got my headphones in. And I look in the back seat and hear my boys with their headphones in. They don't want to hear my music now. But when I was young, I started out with a family. Oh, I'm not going to be like Dad. I'm going to be... $1.125 million. You know what? Within a couple of years... They bought house and boat and this and that and they made choices and decisions within about two years. I think they were like half a million dollars in debt and had nothing, not a single possession to show for it. Had to go and work in the mines cleaning. You know why? Because as people, they weren't $1.125 million people. We can seek after all these things and try to get all these things. But you know what? It takes a certain person to have all these things too. As we seek God, God works with us. He changes us. He conforms us into the image of his son. God turns us into the people so that as he adds these things to you, he will give you everything you need. But the beautiful thing is when God gives you things, he gives it to you at the right time. But a lot of us are out there trying to snatch and grab and take everything. We're not seeking God. We're not prioritizing the spiritual side of life. It's easy to not do because outside of church, who else is talking about it? Where else are you having people in your world other than Christians encouraging you about the spiritual side of life? I often say it at work. When, uh, when, you know, when I'm at work there and things are going wrong and, and, and stuff, I've never had anybody at work say to me, Alan, let's stop and let's pray about that. They just don't do it. You know? Make some smart aleck joke about it or, you know, or no response whatsoever because really deep down they don't care, you know. (laughs) But it comes back to prioritising my life right. Is my spiritual growth important enough to reprioritise my life? Is it important enough to make the changes I need to make to have the relationship with God I want to have, that he wants to have. How hungry are we? We've all had those opportunities where, you know, we had one the other day. You go to the cupboard and, you know, it's one of those weeks and there's not a lot of food in the cupboard and you've got a few more days before you get paid and to stock it all up. But but you've got food. 
you know, and you go to the cupboard, and especially when kids are younger. You're laughing this week, is it? <laughs> Somebody buy these guys a loaf of bread before they leave. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel. Um, so, you, you know, you go to the cupboard and there's food in the cupboard. And, and when the kids are young, they'll, they'll, they'll say, they'll come to you and go, oh, Dad, there's nothing, nothing to eat. I'll go, hang on a second. I'll go and open up the cupboard door and have a look. Well, hang on, there's a tin of spaghetti. There's some soup. There's this. And I can point out a few things and go, yeah, there's food there. The truth is, it's like, no, no, but I don't want that. There's a big difference. And you know what most of us as parents respond to them, we say? Well, if you're hungry enough, you'll eat it. Who's ever said that to their kids? If you're hungry enough, you'll eat it. Yeah? Let me say this. If we are spiritually hungry enough, we will make the changes we need to make to prioritise our spiritual life. The problem is, for many of us, if we're honest, we're just not spiritually hungry. Not hungry enough, perhaps, to make any adjustments or changes to the way life is right now. Yet if we want to be the church that God wants us to be, we need to prioritise God. I know it's a basic no-brainer because <laughs> we're Christians and it's the church. But we can get caught up in so many other things. Before you know it, we're seeking after other things. We're seeking all the gifts, but we're neglecting the giver. Seek first the kingdom of God and God will add these other things to your life. Here's an easy way to sum it up. As you give priority to your spiritual life, God will give priority to your natural life. Okay? As you give priority to your spiritual life, God will give priority to your natural life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the the new L version, the NAV. Prioritize God. Prioritize God and watch as he brings all these other things into your world. Watch as he brings these things together. Maybe for some of us, he won't give us the things that we want right now. He'll change us. We'll get to a point where we'll go, you know what, I actually don't need that. I thought I needed it when I was over here prioritizing this, but when I'm actually trying to prioritize God, I realize now I don't actually need that particular thing seeking god first give priority to your spiritual life and god will give priority to your natural life the responsibility for birth rests with god but the responsibility for growth it rests on you say it again the responsibility for your birth rests on god the responsibility for your growth it rests on you just like in the natural you had nothing to do with your birth your parents did but as you grow up, guess what? You've got to choose to eat the right foods. You've got to choose to exercise. You've got to choose to mix in the right crowds. You've got to choose to head down and study and educate yourself. You've got to choose to apply yourself to your trade or whatever it is that you do. You have to make choices. You have to prioritise things in order to be successful and, 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 and grow up and to be a mature adult. Who's ever seen a, a 30-year-old boy? I see them all the time come into my shop all the time. 30, 40, 50 year old boys. You listen to the conversation, you look at the way they hold themselves and, and you just think, wow, my, my 15 year old child's more mature than you. You know? We would call that somewhat retarded. We would call that somewhat abnormal. Come on, you're 40. 
you're 50. You should. We, we expect certain things out of somebody that's been that's 30 or 40 or 50 years of age. We have certain societal natural expectations on how that person will be. Well, I wonder spiritually. Been saved for 10 years, walking with the Lord for 20 years, 30 years. I think there should be some expected sense of maturity and growth. Unless you just shook his hand and turned around and went on with life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says this. Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. What's Paul saying? What Paul's saying is, you know what? I should be able to feed you something a little bit more meatier than what you're getting right now. Your relationship with God, your spiritual growth by this stage of your walk should be up here, but you're still down here like a baby drinking out of a bottle. Paul's saying that I should be expecting that you have grown. God expects that we will grow spiritually. God has an expectation on us that we will grow, that we won't forever be infants being bottle-fed. You know, I hear all the time from people, oh, I'm going to leave that church. You know, I'm going to leave that church because, uh, you know, they're not teaching. The teaching is not deep enough. You know what? Sometimes, yeah, maybe that's the case. I don't want to play God in people's worlds. But what's interesting is here's Paul saying, you know what? Hang on a second. Don't leave this Corinthian church because you think my teaching is not good enough. Guess who's dictating the teaching? Not me. He says, I'm looking at you. God wants to give you more, but you're still... Sucking on a bottle. Whose responsibility is it? He's putting it back on them, going, it's your responsibility to grow. If you would grow, if you would prioritise the spiritual side of life, God could take you to another place. He could take you on further, but you're not prioritising it. He's putting the responsibility for growth back onto the individual, back onto me, back onto you. I can imagine these days a lot of people would arc up at that and want to leave St Paul's Church. But the Bible puts responsibility for spiritual growth back on us. Paul doesn't say, I, I, I don't want to teach you deeper things. He says, I can't. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm like Paul. And No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm the Corinthians. I'm sitting in the church. Paul's saying to me, I wish I could give you more, but you're not ready for it yet. You should be because you've been walking with the Lord now for a while, but you're not. Why? Because you don't prioritize the spiritual side of your life. It's just there. But you don't prioritize it. You flex the natural muscle till you look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But spiritually, you look like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. It's out of balance. It's out of balance. We pump this all day. Do we worry about this one? Paul's making it very clear. Spiritual maturity is not an option for those who've turned their lives to Christ. Growth is not an option. It is, in fact, an expectation. It's an expectation that we would grow. 
spiritually and in our relationship with God. Hebrews 5.12 says this, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Again, he's saying you should be teaching others. There's an expectation from the writer of Hebrews to this group of people. You guys have been around long enough. You should be spiritually stronger than you are. But you're still sucking on a bottle. Why? Because we don't prioritise the spiritual side of life. We prioritise our natural growth. We don't prioritise our spiritual growth. But to be all that God wants us to be, to be the church he wants us to be, to be the people he wants us to be, to, to do the things in this day and age that he wants done, he needs people who will seek first his kingdom. You see, if you're anything like me, I want God to give to the church what he gave to the early church. But you know what I can hear God saying back to me? Then, Alan, you give to me what the early church gave to me. Give me that devotion. Give me that place of priority in your life. Give me that commitment. You give me what the early church gave to me. You seek first my kingdom. And I will add to you what I added to the early church. The power of God. The tangible, not this, oh, let's believe in faith, brother. Man, Peter and, 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 and that walking to the temple and seeing the guy begging and going, you know, they didn't say in, in Jesus' name, be healed. How do you feel? Oh, no, I'm still sitting down. Oh, it's okay, just keep believing God, it'll happen walk away and write on my newsletter, yeah, prayed for a guy who got healed <laughs> by faith. Man, they were, they were just saying, eyes open up and they did. Lame man, get up and he got up. Dead man, come out of your grave and he came. They were seeing God do such miraculous, wonderful, amazing things. But there was a commitment in their heart. They were a certain type of church, a certain type of people. They sought God first. They prioritized the spiritual side of life. I don't think God's sitting up there going, well, I don't want to do all that stuff anymore. I think God's going, I want to still do that stuff, but I'm looking for a people who will dedicate themselves to me just as the early church did, who will prioritize the spiritual side of life, not just the natural side of life, but will prioritize me, will actually seek me. That word seek first in the Greek literally means to, to give attention to, 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 to think about, to meditate upon uh, as a number one priority in position and order. That's what it means. It literally means what it means in English. Seek first. Go intently after, as the first highest priority, the kingdom of God. And when we do that, God adds all these other things to us. The point here is that time alone does not bring about Christian maturity. You can sit in church for 50 years, be saved, go to heaven, but still not grow into the person God wants you to be. You can sit in church for 60 years and still be a babe in Christ. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He's saying you should be, because of the amount of time you've been here, you should be more mature than this. It's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The amount of time you've been hanging around God, the amount of time you've been saved, you should be teaching other people now, but I'm still bottle feeding you. Why? Because you're not prioritizing the spiritual side of life. Time alone does not bring about Christian maturity.
Here's the bottom line. We want God to give us what he gave the early church, but we don't necessarily want to give to him what the early church gave to him. One of the reasons why we never go on to Christian maturity is we fail to prioritise our spiritual growth the same way that the early church did. I'm going to finish up there. I want to challenge you this week because I want to continue this on next week. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the Word of God and we're going to have a look at what were the foundational basics of the early church. It's there. It's it's very clear. What were the things they had in place in their world that became the foundations upon which growth began, that became the foundation upon which the power of God was released into the world and God was able to do the miraculous and the wonderful things that he did. My challenge to us this week is is to, to, to think about what Jesus says. Do we seek first the kingdom of God? Are you, is God important enough for you to make the changes necessary and to prioritise the things that need to be prioritised? Is he that important to you? Is he not? If he's not, be honest. Be honest. Your father already knows anyway. He doesn't condemn you for it. He doesn't get mad at you for it. But by faith, go, God, the word tells me to seek you first. I don't feel like it. I don't have that passion. I don't have that zeal. God, can you do something in my heart? Lord, can you, can you show me why I need to prioritise the spiritual side of life? Can you show me why I need to seek you first? Ask God to plant that little flame, to begin that little fire and see where it takes you. Maybe you do have that passion. And maybe you've just been sitting back thinking passion alone will, 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 will make your relationship with God grow. It won't. What changes do you need to make? What can you do to reprioritize your spiritual growth? Next week we'll have a little look at what the early church did. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this morning, God. Thank you, uh, Lord, for what you're doing, uh, God, in our world. God, for what you're doing in this nation, Father, for what you're doing in the world around us, God. Father, help us to understand and grasp what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Father, give us the faith to believe that if we do this, you will add things to our lives, God. Father, as we give to you, that, Lord, you will give to us. It's scriptural, it's biblical. You will give to us, God. But you will give to us the stuff that we need, the stuff that's beneficial for us, God, the stuff that will help us become, achieve, reach, be everything that you have for us, Lord. Father, I pray for the next... Uh, week, God, that you would open up opportunities for us, Lord, to share your love with those around us, to show your grace, to show your mercy, and to talk about the cross with those who don't yet know you, Father. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Uh, thank you for braving the church this morning. And uh, those that, that didn't come, I uh, just encourage them maybe get on.